When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for almost the last 12 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, uh, we get back to action this week after a short break in the action after uh, UFC 297 over the last weekend. We head back uh, to the Apex on Saturday. So it's got a real workmanlike feel. Yeah. I guess you could say. Main event Roman Delize against Nasordin Imavov. Co-main event Hanato Moicano versus Drew Dober and buckle up I suppose because I thought I read somewhere that last weekend was the last weekend off before April. Before April? I think, I don't know. Wow. Don't quote me on that. You know me, I'm just out here repeating internet rumors like I'm Joe Rogan. Yeah. So that might not be right, but I thought I read that somewhere. Also thought you read that the government in Australia won't let you grow food. <laughs> that's not a thing he said, is it? Oh, come on. That's absolutely a thing he said. That they won't let you grow food? Yeah. And then it was debunked moments later on his own show. Wow. For what possible reason would you believe <laughs> to control that? control you, Chad, obviously. All right, here's the thing I want to know. You've always got these guys going off about, oh, control, the government's trying to control you with the with the pandemic. They're trying to control you with the pandemic, brother. And I'm always like, to what end? To what end are they trying to control me, Ben? Fucking control the shit out of me. Control the shit out of me. It's not going to do fucking shit for you, man. It's not going to do shit. Listen, I, I just spent... A portion of yesterday, late afternoon and evening, seeing various people's claims that the NFL is rigged. <laughs> oh, I saw something about this, too. Some some which seemed like they they intended to be taken more seriously than others. But here's where I think that everyone could benefit from more viewing of professional wrestling. Because if you think we could put it in the script, we're going to throw this ball 40, 50 yards through the air. It's going to hit a falling defender in his face mask, bounce up into the air where it will then be caught by the receiver. And you think that they could just pull that off just when they want to? You have not seen enough botched spots in professional <laughs> wrestling, my friend. That'll tell uh, you, this shit is harder than it looks to make it look real. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, what, are we, what are we fixing it for to get Taylor Swift into the Super Bowl? Is that Obviously. The, okay. Obviously, we're trying to get Taylor Swift on that TV, get her get her there at the Super Bowl, get all the the basically to get my daughter and uh her demographic to tune into the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
Uh, cause yeah, they have a lot of money. Um, you know what I've noticed is that a lot of people are mad about Taylor Swift being on the NFL broadcast, but they also think it's awesome when Jason Kelsey takes his shirt off and climbs out of the luxury box and runs around in the stands in uh, Buffalo. That's what I've noticed. A lot of people hold those two opinions at the same time, yeah. which if, if that's what you think, that's a you problem, bud. Like that's, that's, that's a problem with you, not what's going on with the NFL. I, if I had watched less NFL this year than I actually have, I would be convinced by the way these people complain about Taylor Swift being shown on the games that there's just a dedicated Taylor Swift camera that we hardly ever cut away. That I would think that we are cutting away from live action. A ball gets thrown through the air and we sometimes don't get to see whether it was caught or not because we're cutting away to Taylor Swift. When in fact, Chad, that is not what's happening. It's like a half second to a two second clip after her boyfriend catches a touchdown or something. There'll be a clip of her celebrating. It's basically like what they do in the NHL where a guy's playing in his first NHL game and his mm. parents are in the stands. Yeah. And every once in a while, if, he, if that guy scores a goal, we're going to cut to his parents for at least a second or two. That's just a given it is not seen as intrusive. It's just seen as the natural sort of storytelling that goes along with the event. And it feels organic to the entire thing because people are thinking about it and talking about it anyway. That's all it is. Like, if you if you get all upset about that, about a, a cutaway here or there to Taylor Swift when, when it's a moment when the dude who she's there to see does something awesome, I don't know what to tell you, bud. Yeah. Like, you... I we we could get a cutaway to like a guy in a raven's beak standing there sadly crying <laughs> into his $16 beer which would also be awesome. Yeah, and would fit with the narrative of what's going on in the game. We get all kinds of that crowd shit. Nobody seems to give a damn, but if it's Taylor Swift, it's as I saw somebody point out online, you would not have thought that especially the so many people who would consider themselves in the mainstream of American society who would get so mad about the popular girl dating the football player because it's kind of <laughs> like the oldest oldest narrative we have yeah, that's in American a trope. media. That's a trope right there. Heaven forbid the famous singer goes to the NFL and has a good time. You know, if they wanted to get the ratings, if they wanted to get the, uh, the 10 and 11-year-old girl demo, if they wanted to get the tween demo, uh, they, they would have a swift cast. You know, the same way they do yeah. the Manning, do the mm -hmm. Manning cast. We could have the Swift cast where it's just Taylor up there singing songs and talking about the game. It's the only time my daughter has ever asked any questions about how football works is when Taylor Swift got interested. So it is, it does have the potential to help sort of broaden the audience a little bit. I wouldn't blame the NFL for leaning into it where they can. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that includes you know, pride style, getting in a, a mic to an earpiece of the referee and being like, <laughs> throw the flag. That was rough in the passer on, on Patrick Mahomes there. You give him a first down. Yeah. Don't know if I see that one happening. That's weird. I've never heard anyone complain that big time sports are rigged before. That's a, must be a, <laughs> must be a we in MMA. I have never yet heard such a, a crazy <laughs> accusation. Every sport is rigged and every commentator hates your team. <laughs> 
Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. We'll get into the MMA talk here in a minute, I promise. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries. If you can't get enough of this, us just chatting about whatever, if you find yourself pining for more, you can check us out over on Patreon. Ben Folks and I are there all week, and so are the beloved patrons of the Co-Main Event. Hit us up over there at patreon.com slash co-main event. You get loads of audio and video content over there, as well as access to our official Discord message board, where people are 24 hours a day talking about all kinds of shit, Ben. I just added, by popular demand yesterday, I just added a channel on our Discord for talking about board and table games. Mm -hmm. This is what they asked for. Nerds. They were like, give us a nerd-ass channel where we can talk about board and table games. I said, it's done. It's there. Boom. It's been popping off ever since. The discourse is thick up in the board and table games channel. If that doesn't float your boat at this point, man, we got a channel. We got a channel over there for every damn thing you could think of. We got a a movie channel. We got a book channel. We got a channel you can talk about your pets. We got a food and drink channel. We got a video games channel. We can got a channel where you go and ask somebody if you need help. We even we listen to this. We got a channel where you can talk about other podcasts on our podcast Discord. We're trying to we're trying to turn listeners away. We're trying to give them other options. Go listen to these podcasts instead of ours. It's the stupidest thing we've ever done. And yeah. yet, they're over there on the Discord talking about podcasts, talking about everything. If you've got an interest, they're talking about it over on the Patreon, over on the Discord. So get in patreon.com slash co-main event join the team over there it's a hell of a good time we got four handy tiers of patronage for you to jump in i promise you won't be disappointed and if you are you can just quit that's that's how it works another way you could support the show is by going to comainevent.com and checking out our merchandise shop we got all kinds of stuff over there the best seller right now is the daddest man on the planet coffee mug that's been the best seller since christmas time but we got t-shirts we got hoodies we got uh mugs as i said hats tote bags towels whatever you want go over to comainevent.com and click the link that says shop as always we're partnering with our friends at superconductor on the shop they are a brand and design studio from portland oregon we can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from Stockholm-based producer and CMEO, a.k.a. co-main event podcast listener and patron, Alfred Larson. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash CMEO. That's S-E-E-M-I-O. Three rounds as usual this week in the Coleman Event Podcast. In round number one, you don't have a damn thing to apologize for, John Anik. And in round number two, oh, hey, look, it's Kayla Harrison coming to the UFC, fighting Holly Holm at UFC 300, making a move to, hold on, women's bantamweight? Believe it. And in round number three, Roman Delidze and Nasardine Imavov are a combined 0-2-1 in their most recent fights. And somehow, they are the main event this week over Hanato Moicano versus Drew Dober. Okay. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Backpack Boom Bap. 
over on Patreon. You know, here's another thing. If you join the Patreon, you get in the front row for listener mm-hmm. mail. You, yeah. you, from, you from the Patreon page, you send us listener mail, you got a much better chance of getting on the show than if you're just rank and file listeners. Backpack Boom Bap writes, Hey, fellas, tin foil hat time. In the publication of Vince McMahon's alleged abuses, it was noted that a wrestler and former UFC fighter had been implicated too, and I'm pretty sure they're not talking about Kane. Dana (laughs) is effectively an employee of TKO, which also owns WWE. He's got to have been informed of Brock Lesnar's possible involvement in the controversy, so could this be the reason he made strong comments about Brock Lesnar not being on the UFC 300 card? Much love to you both. I did see this. We talked about the Vince McMahon allegations uh, more at length on Friday during the power hour over on the Patreon. So if you want to hear expanded thoughts on the, the end of Vince McMahon as a thing, you can go over there and check that out. Obviously allegations against him this past week as part of a civil suit, which are horrific and, uh, indefensible, irredeemable, terrible, ugly. You go read the, uh, the, uh, documents, the court documents, and every page just gets worse. Every yeah. single page gets worse. And uh, there there are some allegations, I guess you would say, of sex trafficking and uh, potential sort of prostitution type situation. And Brock Lesnar was implicated in some of it. Does that have anything to do with Dana White kind of coming out and taking a forceful stand against the idea that Brock Lesnar would be on UFC 300? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. He has taken a forceful stand against almost anyone interesting being on the UFC 300 card. He's basically said the same shit about Ronda, about Brock, about George St. Pierre. He's basically like, don't expect any surprises, which flies in the face of what he said originally. But I just, I don't know. It's if Brock was implicated in these, in these charges where would, uh, would it be smart to keep him off UFC 300? Probably, but I also don't know that the UFC would necessarily do the right thing anymore. That's the thing is I, you can't really convince me that that would be enough if they had a plan in place to get Brock Lesnar a fight and get him on this card, that just his implication in this would be enough for the UFC to say, no, pull the plug. I think if they had a if, if if Brock wanted to do it, they had an opponent, they had it all lined up, they thought it was going to be good for business, I think that they would find a way to do it. You know, it would it would be the same stuff we've heard before. Uh, let the legal system play out, who knows this isn't really about Brock anyway. Uh, you know, we've seen that when the UFC has a fight lined up that they think is going to be good for them, They'll go get Jeremy Stevens out of jail if they have to. <laughs> That's true. I was you know? there. I was at that one in Minneapolis when Dana White was like, I guarantee you we're going to get him out of jail. And I tried to ask him a question really nicely about, oh, are you sure that's the go- a good idea? Are you sure that's the best thing, not only for like the company, but also Jeremy Stevens, who's been cooling his heels yeah. in the sneezer for the last uh, 24, 48 hours? And he's like, oh, we'll get him out. We'll put him in the cage. That's a, It's going to work out great. And then, of course... They did not do that. Yeah. So I don't really think that that would have weighed heavily. I think really what it is, is that it, it's kind of probably exactly what they said it was, was Dana White saying he's, what do you say? Brock Lesnar is 45 or 50 years old. <laughs> uh, basically saying Brock's old. He doesn't need the money. He's not going to come in here 
take the chances getting punched in the face in a cage fight against another heavyweight stripped to the waist. Plus, the last time you did it, it didn't go great. You know, you brought him in for UFC 200 to fight Mark Hunt. He honestly looked like a lot of his striking defense was surprisingly improved for that fight. But you gave him the exemption from the USADA testing window. He came in, popped positive, blamed it on foot cream, then pieced out the game. Like, he... the thing he did for you, I mean, he probably gave you a little bit of bump in the pay-per-view buys. You were already going to do pretty well because it was UFC 200. You had a pretty big lineup. Uh, at least you did before John Jones also got pulled off for pull some picograms, I believe. Um, but you you brought him in. He kind of accidentally set a precedent, which told everybody for the next few years, here's why you have that USADA testing window and why you shouldn't allow your big stars to just skate around it. It was kind of bad news in a lot of ways for the UFC. So I can understand if you're just like, yeah, he's older. We got other stuff going on. And it doesn't seem like while we, the fans and the media might be sitting around going, what are you going to add to UFC 300? What do you have left in that bag of tricks? That's going to blow our mind. You got to pull something out because we're looking at it and you know, we're going, this is pretty good, but it's not the spectacular fight card you promised us. It seems increasingly possible that the UFC is going to be like, no, we think it's awesome. Shut up. You know I mean? There's still going to be some other stuff added. You still don't have a true main event for this thing yet. You got to add something, but I don't know. I don't think that the UFC was even thinking it's going to be Brock Lesnar versus TBA, you know? Yeah. Uh, And whether or not they were going to add more to UFC 300 might come up later in the show. We'll have to see. Next question this week comes to us from Brandon M. Boyd, who writes, Sage Northcutt pulled out of his one FC fight against Shinya Aoki about an hour before the fight because his coaches had visa issues and had to leave the country. Say what? One FC offered him a, quote, world-class BJJ coach as a replacement, which he turned down, and could have borrowed Gary Tonnen. Is it Gary Tonnen or Gary Tanon? I can never remember this. You're the jujitsu guy. What do you say? I feel like that's one of those names where you just see it in print way more often than you hear it said out loud. I'm going to say For Gary... a long time, I thought it was Gary Tonin, and then I heard yeah. somebody say it, and I was like, well, I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm going to say a Gary Tunun just to make sure that I'm wrong. Uh <laughs> Which, let's face it, would have probably been better than his original coaches anyway. Are coaches really that important during the fight? And if you were Sage, would you have went ahead with the fight? Now, this is a thing where I just found out last week that we were going to be doing Sage Northcutt against Shinya Aoki in the 1FC. And I thought to myself, I got to make a mental note to try to catch that. I got to make a mental note to try to tune in and, and, and watch when that happens. And then, of course, with my Swiss cheese brain, uh, I forgot immediately Come to find out, thanks to Brandon Boyd, it didn't happen anyway, so I didn't miss nothing. Come to find out in the wake of that, then, folks, that what did happen was Shinya Aoki going out there and choking out late replacement John Lineker, which, that's an emotional roller coaster yeah, right there. Yeah, man. it is. Um, it is. It is. It's a weird situation, too, because for it to fall apart that late... Uh, and from what I understand, his coaches, including Uriah Faber, 
that had to leave the country. He This is from what Sage Northcutt wrote on Instagram. I'm sorry to all my fans and to my opponent, Shinya Aoki, for not fighting tonight. There are some last-minute visa issues with two of my coaches, and they are on their way back to the U.S. right now. One championship offered to help by giving me a world champion jiu-jitsu coach for a replacement, but not having my coaches that I trained my whole camp with out there with me to compete against arguably the world's greatest MMA submission artist of all time wasn't going to be best for me. Um, first of all, I, I don't know what the visa issues exactly were. We couldn't have let them stay for like an hour? I think hour or two? They were worried Uriah Faber would be too chill. <laughs> they heard about... Remember the... Uh, just sort of incredible, iconic forum story that I, I think Uriah Favor himself like wrote on the ShareDog forums, and this is like back in like 2003 or four or something about I believe going to Bali to like surf and hang out and essentially fighting an entire town's worth of people in in a bar somewhere in Bali. It's this crazy like bar fight story, but it was made the rounds on all the MMA message boards back in the day. Maybe they saw that somebody sent them a share dog forum post <laughs> from 2003 and they were like this guy, get this guy out of the country immediately before he yeah. wrecks everybody too dangerous uh, i though i do you know you hate to second guess somebody because it says north good i guess you gotta say he knows what's best for him whatever i don't know if it's if we're going in there to do a like a submission fight or something you know uh, i just i feel like if you're worried, like, I won't have my coaches in the corner to shout instructions at me, and Chin Yaoki's really damn good at submissions, and so I'm going to need the coaches. I don't know, man. I feel like maybe the hay should have been in the barn a little bit at that point, right? Like, yeah. They, if they can have somebody else to go, it, it's not the ideal situation. I grant you that. You want to have your coaches. You want to have the people that you trained with that, that know you, that can really help you out. But you're already there. You came all that way. It's not like Sage Northcutt is the hottest brand out there in combat sports these days. This is not going to help that. I'd say go out there and do the J-O-B for the boys in the back a little bit. Do, make the best of it. See what you can do. If Shinya Aoki submits you, so fucking what? You know, like, he's really good. That's his thing. We know. And then you could say, like, hey, they sent my coaches back and I was bummed and, you know, I, I needed them in my corner. But I don't, I mean... If you spent all that time training for it, you went all the way over there. I don't know, man. I feel like maybe that's one where you should have just kind of done the best you could under the circumstances. Yeah, I guess I get it. I understand why Sage Northcutt would not want to go through with it. I understand how important it probably would be to him to have his normal coaches there. That is an awful lot. That is an awful long trip to fly over there. And, uh, and not get it done, not be able to participate in the fight you were supposed to do. And you know what? Maybe it comes down to, uh, are you getting that money? Yeah. Do they have to pay no, you? I would think no, right? Yeah. I, and maybe Sh Sh Sage Northcutt doesn't need the money. I don't know. But here in, in, in MMA, we're used to guys doing stuff they probably shouldn't do in order to get a paycheck. I, just, I think this could go either way. It's a personal decision for Sage Northcutt. I'm personally not mad at him that he decided not to fight. Uh, but I, I guess I would have understood if he had decided to go through it. And to Brandon's specific question, I think depending on the fighter and depending on the corner people, I think coaches probably could be very important during the fight. And it would be weird to go out there and be coached by someone 
that you had no previous relationship with someone who didn't know what your game plan was, who didn't, hadn't been in camp with you. And so, uh, I do think it would make a difference though. I don't know, necessarily know that for some guys that that would be the, the absolute nail in the coffin to not going through with the fight. I mean, I think it, it also seems like a great opportunity for like a mini reality show where like, you know, you get Gary Tonon in there hour before the fight and be like, okay, so uh, give me a quick rundown on what the game plan is. Um, <laughs> if you, if I think that you're about to make a mistake, well, let's come up with a code word that I can shout <laughs> rather than don't do that. Don't put your hand there. Watch your arm. Something like, you know, let's just try to work some stuff out just in the limited time that we have. And then like, hey, let's, let's go out there. Maybe Maybe the two of them become best friends that way. You ever think yeah, about that? That could be. I don't know. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Darkwing Duck, who writes, Hey, fellas, I saw this week that Ryan Bader said he thinks the winner of his big fight with Henan Ferreira at the Bellator, U, uh, Bellator P, uh, PFL pay-per-view, Bellator PFL pay-per-view, bit of a tongue twister there, should, as Chad likes to say, quote, get that two mil by fighting Francis Ngannou. Assuming Ngannou really does come back, come back to MMA someday, is this what you would want to do with him or something else? Uh, there is no way under under the sun, no way on God's green earth that I would have Francis Ngannou's return to MMA fight be the winner of Ryan Bader versus Hanan Ferreira. Just no way. <laughs> just no way. Especially since, man, you might only get one. Yeah. You might only get one. You'd be lucky to get any at this point from Big Fran. Lucky to get one fight from Big Fran at this point, considering that boxing money that he's about to 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 make, that he has made and that he will continue to make for at least one more fight. And if you're PFL, if you got one bite at the apple, man, don't waste it. Don't waste it on what what are you gonna do? You put the championship on the line? Have have Big Fran fight for the championship and then take the take the chance that he's gonna win and walk away with the belt in a in a fight against Ryan Bader that probably doesn't get anyone excited anyway. I think you gotta go outside. Yeah, you're saying the, um, specialty assignment yeah, here. You gotta go you gotta go get whoever the highest profile heavyweight MMA free agent is and bring him in to fight. Francis Ngannou, whoever is going to move the needle the most is the person you got to get. It also seems to me a little bit pointless to even be talking about it right now because yeah. we know what he's going to do next. He got himself a boxing match lined up. Depending on that go, how that goes, might have himself another boxing match after that. Like, wait until you have some kind of idea of when realistically he's looking to come back to MMA because the way it's going right now, He's kind of on a little bit of a heater in terms of just like getting getting big money boxing matches. He's probably going to wait until that cools in one way or another or there's a gap in between boxing matches that he's being offered. He's not going to step away from the ATM that's spitting money out just yet to come back to MMA, which is a sure thing that he can be pretty confident is always going to be there. So there's no imminent need to name an opponent right now wait until you get to a point where you think okay 
Now, Francis Ngannou is talking about putting on a little gloves again. Now we're talking about potential dates. And then see who's around. Because you know how this sport goes. People who might be in the conversation now might not even be in the conversation six to nine months from now. And vice versa. Somebody might arise where we're like, oh, it would be exciting to see them go get this person for Francis Ngannou to fight. You just don't know. So there's no need to name somebody right now. We're not on the verge of making it happen. Let's be honest with ourselves. At the same time, if you are Ryan Bader, you got to at least put your name in that. Yeah, you might as well. You're not going to be out here being like, yeah, if I beat Hendon Ferreira, I definitely don't want to fight Francis Ngannou. Yeah. I would, please do not consider me for that two mil because I got other stuff going. I got other irons in the fire. I mean, honestly, you could make a strong case that the only safe time to talk shit about Francis Ngannou <laughs> is when he has a fight with somebody else booked. You know, that's the time to volunteer. Yeah, when he's not there. Yeah. When you're not the, even sure he's going to hear about it. How, you, how do you know it's safe to volunteer for a fight with Francis Ngannou? First, look around and make sure Francis isn't there. Pretty safe bet that the CAA guys aren't getting on the emergency red phone, right? And calling Francis Ngannou to tell him that Ryan Bader is willing to fight him. Like You won't believe what who was talking about you in the, the press conference. And he'll be like, was it Ryan Bader? And he'll be like, yep. And, and Francis is just like, I'm on my way. Like, that's not happening. It's like the red phone with the glass case on top of it. <laughs> All right, last question this week comes from our guy, Dame the Amazing, who writes, Boys, we watching that new Roadhouse or what? <laughs> oh, no. I'll tell you this. If that, if that bad boy is free on Prime, which it looks like it is going to be, hashtag will watch, hashtag will eat a gummy, hashtag will watch. Okay, we're, I guess if it's free on Prime, we will have to watch it to discuss it for an episode of Doing the Damn Thing, right? Yeah, yeah, we will. It just... The the trailer made it seem so uninspired, really. No surprises. Yeah, it just felt like whatever you imagined they were going to do with a Roadhouse remake that features Jake Gyllenhaal and Conor McGregor is what they do. You know, and maybe some of that is just like that's the, the thing trailers basically do is sort of boil it down to the, the broad strokes of the idea. Vince Mancini made a good point, I thought, in his... Uh, his newsletter about it where he's like how do you have a world in which famed bar bouncers exist but the UFC also exists because the twist here is like Jake Gyllenhaal's bar bouncer bar ca cooler character the Patrick Swayze character that he's playing here was a former UFC fighter who has been sort of disgraced and is now uh, to this point where he has to bounce in bars to get by but like his argument is essentially if you have the UFC, those guys are going to be in the UFC. Uh, and the the bar bouncer dudes, like, as it was already kind of a stretch in the original Roadhouse, where it was like, oh, everybody has heard of this guy. Famed bar bouncer goes from town to town cleaning up their joints. Like, already, even at the time period, it was a stretch. And now it just seems like, how do those two things coexist in the same universe? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, so it doesn't get me excited, especially because Roadhouse was such a movie of a specific era and yeah. it was perfect for that era. There's no way you could do better remaking it now. And when you do remake it now, 
it's just it's just gonna feel a little bit sad. It's just gonna feel like you being like, hey, you liked this thing before. How about a shittier version? Would you pay us some money for that? Like, we'll take it. And that just bums me out, man. I would much rather, especially Jake Gyllenhaal's a good actor, man. All right, Give- here's what here's what I wanted to bring up about Gyllenhaal because you see this. This well, the whole concept of this, which has obviously been floating around for a while, floating around f- f- for since time immemorial, when they yeah, were like, gonna "We're going to Ronda Rousey." Yeah, we're going to put Ronda in this thing, and then they found out what her acting looked like, and they were like, "Not so fast." Uh, but now we're going to circle around, do it again with Conor McGregor, Jake Gyllenhaal. You'd think he'd be better than this, right? Yes. You think that like Gyllenhaal would have other options? Now this Roadhouse. Remake is directed by Doug Lyman, right? As uh, Vince Mancini points out in his uh, re- preview, review, whatever it is over there uh, on his Substack newsletter, which you should subscribe to if yeah. you like, if you like movies and stuff like that. And Doug Lyman has made some good, some good movies. He's sort of a noted action director. He's but done a bunch of the uh, Born Identity movies. He did Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, he did Swingers. Edge of great. Yeah. A long time ago. Uh, so this he's like a, a a capital G guy in the action movie genre, and it's possible that everyone involved in this thought that it would have a bigger theatrical release. I, Doug Lyman is boycotting the uh, the premiere I saw because they're just putting it on Prime instead of putting it out in theaters. But it just seems like Gyllenhaal could do better than this, and I don't yeah. totally understand why he is in this movie. But then you look you look at his IMDb, and it's like so he did. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home back in 2019. And then uh, his his credits since then are Spirit Untamed, The Guilty, Ambulance. He was a voice on Strange World, which is a, that's a Disney show right there. So that was probably good. And then he did The Covenant and now he's in Roadhouse, which I don't know. Is 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 Jillian Hall's star falling from the sky here? What's going on? Yeah, I don't totally get it because I feel like everything I've seen him in, he's been good. Uh, and it feels like Roadhouse is the kind of movie, the Roadhouse remake. You're gonna have to get super jacked and ripped to do it. Maybe but- that's why he wanted to do it. He's like, oh, a free chance to get on the sauce will do. But also. You're not going to quite get the same accolades. Everybody's going to be like, this is dumb. I don't know, man. He should have jumped out there and did a Calvin Klein ad, like the guy from The Bear. Once he was on the juice for uh, for Iron Claw, he realized that that's when he ought to jump on an underwear, an underwear sponsorship. Best times to do that underwear ad are when you just had to get super jacked to be in a pro wrestling movie. Yeah, You're, you uh, already did all that work. You might as well. It's like it's like one of those things where, you know, if you're a freelance writer, you ended up researching for some story and you're like, is there a way I could spin this and get paid a second time to write it for some other outlet? Like, that's essentially what he's doing, only with much, much more money. Yeah. And more abs. Yeah. Uh, Slightly more abs. Embarrassing personal admission. I already said it on the Patreon, but I will say it again here in front of God and everybody. The Roadhouse trailer was not as bad as I expected it to be. Wow. But I expected an absolute trash fire, and this—I don't know. It looked—it looked like a looked like a movie. It looked like more of a movie than a trash fire to me. I'll—I'll I'll say this along the same lines. Just from the little bits we saw of him, Conor McGregor seems like maybe one of the more interesting things in the Roadhouse remake. It looks like he gets to go out there and be Conor McGregor. Gets to do his stuff. I mean, 
at this point, with everything we know about him, isn't he more believable as the bad guy? <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. We are going to watch Roadhouse, and we are going to to do a movie podcast on it over on the Patreon. This is our solemn vow to you, uh, Dame the Amazing. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, we are going to go ahead and roll into round number one. Well, Ben, it is no secret that in the wake of UFC 297, the MMA world was overrun by even more jabronis than normal. Bunch of noobs out here trying to to make a federal case out of Sean Strickland losing a close decision to Drikus Duplessis and losing his UFC middleweight title in the process. John Anik, who is the most professional guy that we have in this sport at that level. He is accessible to fans. I know when I worked with him personally at ESPN, he was a hell of a guy. Basically he's never done nothing to nobody ever in this sport. He goes on his podcast with Kenny Florian and he makes some statements after I think having some run-ins with these, uh, with these deranged Strickland fans He says, I'm just going to read some of the comments here. He says, I'm growing tired of this MMA space a little bit and just the morass of negativity. This guy going to use the word morass. How are you going to hate on him, (laughs) Ben? I'm growing tired of this MMA space a little bit and just the morass of negativity when there is a close fight. Because even if you and I both thought Drikus Duplessis won the fight, we are going to try to present that information respectfully. When I go to X... Or when I go to YouTube and see the comments, it seems like a lot of these fans are just in attack mode. I don't know if these fans are casual fans or not, but I appreciate the passion. I'm just getting to a point where at 45 years of age, where I don't know how much time I have left in this MMA space. Because if I go to pro football, I'm not necessarily going to be dealing with the lowest common denominator of all time. So that's those are some of his quotes. Which I think predictably caused a bit of a firestorm here in MMA. He's a high profile guy. He maybe didn't expect this, this bit of his podcast to quite go as viral or to become as big a deal as, as it did. Uh, I did think that on some websites it was, it was spun in a fairly dramatic way where it's basically like John Anik threatens to quit overall, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, he's he's sort of did but not i don't know it was I mean, it more was like over. saying when when people are dicks to you it sort of gradually drains your enthusiasm for the work which who could argue that right and that's the thing even though this was sensationalized in many places john anik just said out loud what many of us are thinking and indeed said out loud the same thing many of us are also saying out loud he just did it from a higher profile place and he did it from inside the walls of the UFC which perhaps ultimately was the undoing of this situation 
for me, when I saw that he'd come out with this apology, um, the the stuff that he said basically, uh, where he he basically said, okay, it was a I was emotionally in a heightened state, you know, when I made those comments. Wanted made sure to say he wanted to apologize to any fans he might have offended there. And to me, my first question, and really kind of the only question for me in this whole situation is, did the UFC lean on him to get this apology out? Yeah. Did somebody at the, I mean, and by lean on him, I mean, did they say anything to him? Because what we are led to believe is that after Sean Strickland went off on his thing, where a reporter asked him about his past comments about gay and and trans people, and he flipped out, yelled at him, called him an infection said he was everything wrong with the world, called him a weak man for saying he would support a hypothetical gay child, all this stuff. And that when Dana White was asked, was there any conversation within the UFC or within TKO, the the parent company, about how to or even whether to address Sean Strickland's comments, he said, zero. That was his immediate response. Didn't even discuss it. Didn't even discuss if anybody needed to talk about Sean Strickland's comments. Because freedom of speech, brother. Yeah. That's what he said. If the UFC said anything to John Anik to try to get this apology out of him or even to suggest, we would like you to walk back those comments, please. Um, Or if it was even, if there was more behind it than that. If they said anything at all to John Anik, that's a damning indictment of where we are for the UFC sort of as a company culture. Because it's saying, Sean Strickland can say whatever he wants about this group of people. Uh... If John Anik says he doesn't like being verbally abused by those fans, he needs to apologize right away. Yeah. That that would be awful if it turns out that's where we are. Now, I don't know if the UFC leader, maybe John Anik was just like, eh, this turned into a bigger deal. Let me just like take some of the wind out of it. Maybe he did all of that by himself. I don't have any knowledge on that. But... It's incredible to me, and yet is so MMA of us, that you have, within like a week of each other, these two incidents. Where Sean Strickland, go, who is at the time wearing a shirt about how there should be a woman in every kitchen. The guy who said women, women shouldn't be allowed in the workforce and shouldn't be allowed to vote. So it's like he's sitting up there, and he's talking shit on basically uh, the demographics of women everywhere. Yeah, that's gay people, people. Yeah, and trans people, and we decide that's all fine. Not don't even worry about it. Not even worth a discussion about it. And if John Anik is like, I tell you what, people were acting like dicks, and those people who acted like dicks make me feel like I don't want to stick around in the sport where I have to hear from people who are acting like dicks. And that's the guy who has to apologize. John Strickland's out there just like saying whatever the fuck he wants and it's fine john annick says i wish people would stop being dicks to me because it makes me not want to keep showing up to work in a in an environment like that and that's the guy who has to apologize that that does not say great things about the the culture around this sport right now if that's the case yeah and again as you said you and i don't have any inside info about this so we don't know what happened if anything behind the scenes and john anik as you also mentioned is the kind of dude where you could see him making the decision on his own to be like okay like this this was kind of a big deal i didn't intend it to be so i'm a classy ass dude i'm gonna put out this statement however when i first saw it i was like oh somebody made him do that 
that was my reaction. My reaction was like, so little time has passed between those statements and the apology that it seems like somebody made him do that. And I would agree that brings up a lot of freedom of speech, bro, question mark, uh, you know, questions that could be asked of the UFC. But at the same time, uh, no one will. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you essentially, if if the UFC said anything to him to, to prompt this apology, what you're essentially saying there is, well, we agreed with Sean Strickland's comments. Or at least we didn't disagree strongly enough to feel like it was going to be a problem. This, if you say anything to our fans, and granted, he's not saying all the fans. No. He's just saying that he's assholes. very clearly talking about the kinds of fans who are going to be jerks about this and who are jerks uh, interacting with him on social media and in comment sections. Or he's talking about a, a way that certain people are acting, not an identity people have, not a way they were born, a way people are choosing to be in the world. And he doesn't like it. And if you're saying like, that's not OK. And really what you would be saying there is because we think of those as our people. Yeah, we think of the like the assholes are the the demographic we're going after, um, which if you're also the same people who run the power slap, I might believe that that is the calculation you were making just in general. But man, that's depressing if that's where you are, where you're like no, Sean Strickland can go on a hateful, bigoted rant. That would be a huge deal in any other sport. Right. One of the things that reached outside the MMA bubble for this event, uh, which rarely happens these days, mainstream news outlets are taking notice of you. And that, you didn't even have a conversation about it. And this, the guy's got to apologize? Like, that's bleak, man. Yeah. You made this point a week or so ago, I think on the Patreon, and I just want to mention it also. It is, It is remarkable to me how these assholes are so committed so virulent about their uh right to be assholes yes right they are so concerned with i get to be an asshole and no one can say anything about it no one can cast any criticism my way at all about me being an asshole the the answer is if you think i'm an asshole don't don't read my comments like that's that's the the most charitable thing they will say is like Get off this, get off this platform if you don't want to deal with me being an asshole, which is just like an incredible way to live life. Yes. Right? Just like, I'm going to be a fucking dick. I just must and, poison the environment all around me. And if yeah. you don't like it, then you must be the one actively working to avoid me. That's right. It's your fault if you don't like that I'm being a fucking asshole. All right. On that note, let's go ahead and we'll do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? For this week, Ben, what's what's your are you fucking kidding me today? Well, you know, you talked about some of the things that we're getting into over there on the CME Discord. And yeah. one of those things is, of course, sumo. Yeah. And man, I I've gotten so all in on sumo recently. And as we have talked about before, really enjoying learning about the culture around sumo, which is very different. Uh, this over the weekend, I watched a documentary called A Normal Life that we might end up discussing later in some form about a uh, kid who graduates high school in Japan and then embarks upon training to become a, a sumo wrestler. And I've been following some Twitter accounts as recommended by people on the Discord, uh, reading some stuff about sumo, just enjoying the hell of it. And there are times, though, where you get a you get a glimpse into just a different style of parenting that's going on over there and 
I saw it in this documentary I watched where, you know, we get to a point here where it's like, oh, there's sort of the, the cliche of like the football dad or like the, the dad is going to make you do sports because he did sports and he thinks that's what you should do. And we've had so many after school specials about how that's, that's maybe not the best way to go about it. It seems in sumo, they don't have those specials. They have a different kind of special because here is, I'm reading this from uh, Patricia Dobashi's Twitter account at Patricia J-D-J-A-Y-D-E-E, which tweets out some good Somo stuff about uh, Kotonowaka um, speaking about his grandfather's influence on him deciding to become a sumo wrestler. Quote, he was devoted to sumo and insisted on that for me. My grandfather never watched variety shows like everyone else in Japan. The only thing that was played on the TV in his room were live broadcasts of sumo matches. He showed little interest in fashion or entertainment or anything much else but sumo, and ruled his disciples with an iron hand, his style of passionate, driven coaching. Growing up in this environment, where there was a ring in my house, I realized early on that my grandfather there was a sumo would, ring in this guy's house? would not accept anything but a career in sumo for me. If I had a grammar school sumo event and came in second, I'd have to lie to my grandfather about it. I once told him the truth, and he became so infuriated, it ruined everyone's day. This is him speaking in praise of his grandfather, by the way. Uh, So I guess my are you fucking kidding me is that... Are you fucking kidding me? Imagine if if you just couldn't put the weight on. If your grandfather's just out here just being like, look, there's a sumo ring in the house. You will become a sumo wrestler. A second place, a second place finish, Chad. Pretty good still. You know, you get get on the podium. Uh, And he would become so infuriated it would ruin everyone's day. Are you fucking kidding me? Man, I hope the sumo works out for you at that point, man. That is a tough way to grow up. And, you know, as I learned watching that documentary, sometimes... You can eat all you want. You can eat as many dinners as you want, and you're just not going to get big enough. Are you fucking kidding me? The world of sumo is is, is a, it's a hard, harsh, and unforgiving world, Chad, and yet yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful in its yeah. own way. One of the things that appeals to me about it now is that if, if a sumo guy even looks at his opponent the wrong way, he will receive a reprimand mm-hmm. from the Japanese Sumo Association, and he will have to apologize. So that's a, it's a bit of a fresh, bit of fresh air, a different standard of conduct for the athletes. That's right. Uh, Gordon Ryan has been having some health issues, Ben. I don't, I don't want to, you know, make fun of the guy for having, uh, health issues for being sick. It's not fun to be sick. He's had some stomach issues that he says have, have led to him being quote bedridden for the past month or so, uh, he jumped on the Instagram this week and posted a long, uh, long message that said, for those of you close to me, you know, I've been bedridden and almost complete uh, bedridden, almost completely for the last month or so with my stomach. Haven't been able to eat hardly anything or exercise at all. Today is the first day I've been able to push more than a light workout. I did legs for the first time in a month. I've lost 20 pounds, currently around 206. Yet I feel strong and look, well, I'm probably the best looking human being to ever have existed. But that's beside the point. No matter how many steroids you take, you won't maintain size off cycle or through sickness if you haven't built quote unquote real muscle. It's why you see guys go from 235 to 170 on versus off a cycle. 
Even though I'm malnourished and dying, I'm still me. You can't cut corners and expect proper results, etc., etc. Uh, keep fingers crossed that the new meds are working. And this is the message on the in, on an Instagram post that includes a picture, a workout picture of Gordon Ryan where he looks absolutely fucking shredded, mm-hmm. absolutely jacked. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You're going to be out here and put up a post that says, even though I'm malnourished and dying on this fucking post where you're clearly just out of your mind, ripped and in terrific shape. Fuck out of here with that shit. Gordon Ryan malnourished and dying because you're 206 pounds, a twisted steel and muscle. Get the fuck out of here. You fucking kidding me? You know what you're setting yourself up for here? You're going to get this Tuesday CME news curse, but it's going to be Gordon <laughs> Ryan dead. I will look like such an asshole. You're going to look Ryan like dies. such a jerk. Yeah. Jeez. I hope that doesn't happen. I will feel bad. They will dies. talk about you at his funeral. <laughs> You'll be in the eulogy. Yeah. Well, you, you really, uh, you dressed that up in a way I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> hope you, hope you feel better. Gordon. All right. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Jed, Kayla Harrison is officially signed to the UFC and is going to make her debut at 135 pounds and is going to fight Holly Holmes and it's going to be at UFC 300. So we're we're announcing Kayla Harrison's presence in the UFC with, with some degree of fanfare here and rightly so. She comes over as a very decorated, just general combat sports athlete as uh, after her sit in the Olympics as a gold medalist in judo, comes in a uh, multiple-time PFL champion, and then she's going to show up here and we're going to be like, okay, not only do we not have really any more of the weight class below the one you were used to fighting at, you know, like we're going to make you cut all the way down to 135 pounds, which... Seems like a potentially big cut. And she's going to come in here against 42-year-old Holly Holmes, as she is known on this show. Yeah. I mean, I said this on Twitter when it happened. Like, Kayla Harrison versus Holly Holm, a.k.a. Holly Holmes, uh, is a is a relatively big fight. It was a surprise announcement. It gave us just a taste, just a little taste of what we were originally led to believe UFC 100, 300 was going to be. And so in that regard, I thought it was cool. I thought it was it was good that they are doing this. And it was one of those announcements where Dana White jumps on his Instagram and shouts out shouts at us on a video, which anytime you can get Dana White that excited, I'm into it. Uh, it's a bit of a triple whammy of an, of an announcement, as you said. Kayla Harrison, 135, UFC 300 against Holly Holm. Uh, at the same time, this can't be it. Right, this can't be it for your UFC 300 lineup, or we are going to be disappointed, I think, in how it's going to look. But Kayla Harrison's a big pickup, man. She's a big free agent pickup. She's obviously been one of the main drivers of the PFL 
since she entered MMA. All of her fights have been in the PFL. She is 16-1 and overall. She rebounded from that loss uh, in November of 2022 over Larissa Pacheco with a win against Aspen Ladd. So she's sort of back on track now. I think everybody is interested to see how she will do against UFC competition. And, I mean, the sad fact is we're not really doing women's featherweight anymore. Yeah. They told us last summer they were probably going to drop it, and the sign or the fact that Kayla comes in here and has to cut to 135 to fight Holly Holm is is the nail in the coffin. Now we know for sure that women's 145 pounds is done. You know, and I've seen some other fighters, uh, some female fighters who have made some of those cuts be like, this might be harder than she thinks it's going to be. This might take more of a toll on her. It will be really interesting to see what does she have after making that big cut. It's especially interesting when you look at what a big betting favorite she is early yeah. on as soon as this thing opened. Because I looked at the lines right now, Kayla Harrison going off at minus 410, about a four, little over a 4-1 to one favorite, uh, Holly Holm at plus 350. And especially when you don't know exactly how Kayla Harrison is going to perform at 135, that sure seems like odds makers are awful sure she's going to win. And I, in a way, I get it. I mean, she's almost a decade younger than Holly Holm, who hasn't looked spectacular in recent fights. It seemed like she's really on the downslope a little bit. It also seems like the Holly Holm has sort of made a, a similar transition, um, I would say, even to guys like Andre Arlovsky or Alistair Overeem, as they got older, where they had to rely on rounding out their games and some other aspects of their games. Uh, becoming more prominent where, you know, she was getting by on a lot of uh, like going in there against Ronda Rousey and just kicking her in the neck and was pretty good at that. And then had to develop a little bit more of a wrestling game, uh, a good clinch game, a lot of stuff that could be kind of described as negating other people's offense yeah, uh, more than it is an overwhelming offense of her own. Uh, But you don't survive in this sport this long without being able to do some of that because some of your physical abilities are just going to start to deteriorate a little bit. And yet the kind of physical abilities that she has developed seem like they would match up sort of uniquely poorly against Kayla Harrison. Yeah, she is. She is gone with what critical fans would call a wall and stall game plan in some of her most recent uh, fights. She was, you know, prior to getting choked out by Maria Buena Silva in July of last year, she was three and one over her last four fights. And the one loss was a split decision loss to Ketlin Vieira. She has a win over Raquel Pennington from January of 2020, who is the current champion, if you are keeping score. Uh, And, you know, uh, there was some reason to believe that Holly Holm was still pretty good. But I, to say that is I don't know if we're still holding on to a version of Holly Holm that doesn't exist anymore, right? Like she's 42 now. As you mentioned, she hasn't seemed to be the, the Holly Holm of old for a while. And so the odds seem a little bit long to me, a little bit more lopsided than I would have expected them to be. And if you told me you wanted to take a flyer on Holly Holm with those odds, I would feel like you were justified in doing that. I also think Kayla Harrison probably wins. Yeah. But also, like, you know, in her loss to Larissa Pacheco, you probably have a game plan for what Holly Holm wants to do because, you know, Larissa Pacheco is primarily a striker and and uh, and was able to 
exert her game on Kayla Harrison and win. So I feel like for a UFC debut at UFC 300 at a weight class that you haven't fought at before, although Dana White assures us that she has done a practice cut and everything will be fine, bro, getting down to 135. Uh, you know, that's you are a huge favorite considering all of those factors going into to one fight. And frankly, we have seen people underwhelmed before in their UFC debuts. Okay, that leads me to this question, though. How good does she have to be in this fight for you to get really excited about? Kayla Harrison is the life we needed at women's bantamweight. She is the uh, injection of enthusiasm and new blood that this division needed. Because it was not so long ago we were up here talking about, like, man, it just seems like the the energy has kind of been sapped out of women's 135, which used to be the division for women's MMA. Kayla Harrison seems like she brings a lot of excitement before the bell here. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of promise, a lot of possibility. Do you need to see her go out there and finish Holly Holm or dominate Holly Holm? If she loses, do you feel like you'd be able to be like, well, first fight in the UFC, first fight at 135, it could happen to anybody. Like, what do you need to see out of Kayla Harrison? I think any kind of victory will be just fine in terms of ensconcing her or at least maintaining her reputation as someone that we want to see at 135 pounds just because this is a division that needs a little bit of star power it needs an injection of talent right now you know it needs an exciting person to come on the scene and and be a little bit different be uh uh you know give it a little boost in terms of of our interest and, and attention so i think that just getting a win over holly holm will be good enough to keep Kayla Harrison in the mix. I think for her to be regarded as an immediate title contender, she would have to go in and kind of blow Holly Holm out of the cage. And if she can do that, that'll be impressive because even at her advanced age, Holly Holm does not get finished that much. Before she got choked out by MBS, her only stoppage losses were that she got kicked in the head by Amanda Nunes, she got submitted real late in a fight by Misha Tate. And I think that's it. That's it. Those are all the finishes for Holly Holm. So if you manage to go in there and storm over her and look super impressive doing it, yeah, that's going to be meaningful to me, even if it's going to be over a 42-year-old version of Holly Holm. And just considering what else we got going on at women's 135 pounds, could leapfrog you to the front of the line, as far as yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to round number three, one other UFC 300 note, Conor McGregor out here, hashtag just tweeting stuff, leading to speculation that we are perhaps going to wind up with McGregor versus Michael Chandler as the main event of UFC 300 in April. And I don't know if we should believe that we are conditioned at this point to not necessarily believe some of the stuff that dribbles out of Conor McGregor's mouth and or through his thumbs onto his Twitter. But if they do do that, I will say that would be a very, very UFC move to do the thing that in the beginning we were like, this is the obvious main event for this pay-per-view and for them to be like, no, no, we're not doing that. We won't do that. Don't expect much from this. And then turn around and be like, actually, yeah, at the end of the day, we did do the thing that you wanted in the first place that we told you we weren't going to do. Worth noting, it is now the second different date that he has alluded to 
accepting with the UFC in the, just in the last few weeks, all while the UFC says, when we have something with him, we'll tell you. So. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, down there at the Apex Saturday night, we're getting back on the fight night train. UFC fight night, Dolidze versus Imavov, a.k.a. UFC fight night 235. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but I will just repeat it. Roman Dolidze coming in uh, on the wake of a loss to Mad Marvin Vittori back in March of 2023. Nasruddin Imavov coming into this fight in the wake of a no contest against Chris Curtis that recurs, you will remember, doing due to an accidental clash of heads. Uh, and prior to that, a loss to Sean Strickland in January of 2023. So not necessarily all that impressive uh, showings recently from either of these guys. The co-main event, which is Hanato Moicano versus your guy Drew Dober, you got Moicano coming in off a win over Brad Riddell at UFC 281, and you got Drew Dober coming in at off a win over Ricky Glenn at a fight night in October of 2023 and a performance of the night award. I guess technically speaking, Delize and Imavov are ranked more highly in their division than Moicano and Dober are in their division, but this... This doesn't make any sense to me, man. Why you would have Roman Delize and Nasruddin Imavov as your main event when you have Moicano and Drew Dober on the same card. Yeah, I'd also just think that simply for name value, that if you were to take a poll of who MMA fans know, who they can get excited about, who they can be like, oh yeah, that guy, I remember that guy. I would think Hinato Moicano and Drew Dober really beat the hell out of Roman Delize and Nasser Diamimovov in that poll. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess, I mean, unless the thinking here is, well, middleweight is where we want there to be some more focus and attention and action. Um, and maybe it also comes down to who we can agree to get in there and do five rounds. I don't know. But if you're thinking like, all right, well, we want to we want to shine a little bit more of a light on middleweight, get some more movement going on in the rankings, make it seem that it's a bigger deal if you win this fight, which is one of the weird effects that the, the designation as the main event ends up having on you, isn't it? It's because we've talked about it before that some fight cards really have a main event. Some fight cards have a fight that is last. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the difference when you're making one of them for three rounds and one of them for five rounds is a real difference. That distinction does matter. But there's also sometimes where it's like we will really act like a main event is more important. Like the stakes are higher, that it's a bigger fight than it is just because it's the main event. And it's not necessarily true in all cases. Here's one where it might not be so true. Nasruddin Imavov, the slight favorite here at minus 166. Roman Delize going off at plus 140. Now see, down here in your co-main, Drew Dober is plus 130 and Hanato Moicano is minus 155. So odds makers appear to make these two fights to be about as competitive as each other. I just think it's odd. 
maybe I'm just saying more about me than about the current UFC landscape, but I feel like the winner of Moicano versus Dober gains more in the eyes of fans than the winner of uh, Dulidze versus Imavov. I just can't, I can't really wrap my mind around these, the difference or why one would be the main over, over the other being the co-main, except that, you know, maybe there's fewer guys at middleweight than, than lightweight. But I, I mean, that's more of a negative comment on middleweight more than anything else. Well, you recall, I think I brought this up maybe last week or the week before, uh, and not Moicano seems to be in a tell it like it is stage of his career, which I for one really fucking appreciate. Yeah, he's the one who is saying how uh, nobody likes fighting in the apex, which they are for this one. And that he was just like, eh, you know, main event, co-main event, whatever. nobody cares because it's at the apex. Uh, I don't like it. I have to do it. I understand why it's good for the UFC. Ask anybody, though. Nobody likes fighting in the apex. Today, I saw uh, this. I saw via Nick Baldwin on Twitter uh, from the MMA Hour. Uh, Hinato Moicano's comments on, you know, the fan base, quote, if you like me, that's okay. But if you don't like me, fuck you and I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) You trying to be one of my guys, Hinato Moicano? I I like how it's not, it's not like, if you don't like me, fuck you. And if you're my fan, I love you. I I do this all for you. No, it's, if you like me, that's okay. He is neutral on you if you are his fan. If you don't like him, fuck you. <laughs> Care if you don't like me. See, that's what John Anik should have said. <laughs> Instead of the, you know, making a long, uh, reasonable, and well thought out statement, he just yeah. said, "If you don't, if you don't like me, fuck you." That's what he should have said. Uh, that's amazing that Moicano said that. Not a ton else going on. On this fight card, frankly, you got Meatball Molly down there on the prelims. You got Mahmoud Murder, aka mm. Mahmoud Muradov. He's uh he's got a fight on here, although he hasn't been quite as murderous as perhaps we had hoped since coming into the UFC. But that's you know that's about it. This is a uh, you, if you don't got anything else going on, if your significant other and or family have left you for the night, if they're out doing other stuff, you don't got shit to do. Maybe you throw this on. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of what this seems like to me. It is some JSF ass shit. This is this is the just some fights era kind of summed up on this one. It's interesting too that you know the UFC was off, comes back here on the, all, the what happens to be the weekend that the NFL takes off before the Super Bowl. And do you remember when the UFC used to try to make Super Bowl weekend like it used to try to get in on the sporting action? Like, hey guys, we're all excited yeah. about sports this weekend, right? Of course, of course. Sunday's the big game. Saturday night's the big pay per view. Am I right? And that was like we did GSP versus BJ Penn on the Super Bowl weekend. Did a whole bunch of big fights. You know, we might get Chuck Liddell out every once in a while for one of those those fight cards. And now I don't know if it's just crunched the numbers on it or what. It's just decided like nope. You might as well kind of clear the lane a little bit because it's like we took off before. Here's a weekend where it seems like you would be able to do something, right? Because there's no NFL. You kind of got the weekend to yourself. Nope, we got just some fights. Next weekend, Super Bowl weekend, not trying to really capture that that sporting energy and get it to transfer to MMA anymore. Uh, we're just going to do another fight night. And then after that, we'll do, go and do our pay-per-view. I don't know. I mean, I assume they, ha- they have some research on this stuff to look at. Maybe it didn't actually work out to, t- to try to get people like, 
You're all excited to be eating snacks and watching TV on Sunday, right? Wouldn't you like to do more of that but to pay premium prices for it on Saturday night? Like Maybe that just didn't work for reasons that would be understandable. But now we're in prime just some fights mode up until UFC 298. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, uh, Neil Magny was on the MMA hour this this week uh breaking down his win over Mike Malott from UFC 297 and I got to say Neil Magny give the guy credit for being realistic realistic about where he's at in the division right now here's his quote it's very evident what's happening here I'm fighting a guy who's undefeated in the UFC. He's a young up-and-comer fighting in his backyard. It's absolutely an opportunity for him to break into the rankings by beating me, and I welcome that adversity with open arms. Then he goes on to say, here's what he says about the end of the fight, which which I like. Uh, when he, he knew he was down two rounds to none, and he gets on top of Mike Malott there at the end, he says, I just went, screw it. We're going to punch until that ref pulls me off, which, love it. I love that from your from your game plan perspective. He says, for me, it was important to go out there and not only fight just to fight hard and prove myself. Uh, I wanted to show that I've got some left in the tank and beating a guy Mike, like Mike Malott proves that it just gave me the confidence, gave me the boost I needed to keep moving forward in my own personal career. And so this week I'm just saying more power to you, Neil Magny for recognizing that the UFC doesn't necessarily want to be in the Neil Magny business that much longer. And you're out here just trying to, to to force them to do otherwise. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, I'm just saying we mentioned earlier the uh, just terrible, terrible information come out in this lawsuit uh, about Vince McMahon, allegedly. And, you know, they had the Royal Rumble this past weekend. Uh, yeah, they did. Cody Rhodes, I understand. Spoiler alert. Won the Rumble second year in a row. Triple H, uh, as chief content officer, I'm reading this story from MMA Mania. He was out there at the press conference afterwards, and obviously they got to ask about these allegations against Vince McMahon, not only uh, from the business perspective, but also happens to be his father-in-law. Here's Triple H's quote. I'm going to do exactly what you'd expect me to do here. Look, we just had an amazing week, a 10-year, $5 billion Netflix deal, The Rock joining our board. We just sold out the Royal Rumble, put 48,000 people in Tropicana Field. I choose to focus on the positive. Yes, there's a negative, but I want to focus on that and just keep it to that. Uh, and then when he was asked what the WWE is doing to ensure that people in positions of power can't do shit like this, he says, I'll give you the most generalized answer that I can, everything possible. That is a very important thing to us, a very important topic to us. It's as simple as everything possible. First of all, I'm just saying I don't believe you <laughs> based on just everything that's happened and also your complete unwillingness to even confront it because you're so busy focusing on the positive. I'm also just saying you can't stop a pro wrestler from being a pro wrestler. When asked about horrifying allegations against his father-in-law and the the... The top banana in the whole business, basically. Triple H needs no time at all to start talking about the attendance at Tropicana Field. <laughs> like, just straight into, you know, Hulk Hogan, Pontiac, Silver Dome, Saturday night, where I'm, I'm going to put it on you. Bro. Like, just straight into pro wrestling promo mode. 
when asked even about this. I'm just saying, it. I guess I'm not surprised, but I am a little amazed. Yeah. Just saying. You know what I like about both those quotes is that he makes no bones about the fact that he's basically lying to us that Mm -hmm. he's basically sidestepping the question like he doesn't even really try to pretend that he is giving you a good faith answer he says in both in both instances well i'm gonna do exactly what you expect me to do when you ask me this tough question i'm about to sidestep it here we go and then in the other one he's like i will give you the most general answer possible yeah dude you are saying the quiet part out loud right now. Yeah, you're not supposed to do it that way you're not supposed to be like i'm about to lie to you uh also (laughs) I do appreciate the way that he frames it where he frames it as if they're on equal footing. Yes, there's a negative, horrifying allegations of rape and sex trafficking, but there's also a positive. We did a event and it went well. So balance is out, right? Like, yeah. Okay. All right, that's going to do it this week for the Co-Main Event Podcast. Remember, we're at the Patreon page all week, patreon.com slash co-main event. Join us over there. If not, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. I just want you to know that if you were cornering me, we had gone all the way over there to fight Shinya Yogi. They, quite frankly, rightly kicked you out of the country. I was surprised they even let me in in the first place. I, I, and they asked me if I was still going to fight. I'd be like, can I be real with you guys? I like my chances better now. You'd be like, who are you going to give me? Wow, that's big time. Yes, that guy was I'll kind of that. a drag, don't you think? I don't know. He was just, he, I didn't like his vibes. The vibes was <laughs> off with that guy. Uh-huh. And then you'd get your ass kicked because no one would be there being like, put your hands on him, Benny. Rough neck him. Just you do you. through the training camp they were like don't worry we'll figure it out on the night <laughs> get in there we'll, we'll yeah. just tell you what to do once we see what his game is like and uh you know just listen real close as long as you do that everything will be